Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms. Today being Mother's Day, we have a goal. We are seeking to honor moms and also understand what it means to be a truly great parent. If you've seen the sermon title, you know that's what it's about. But let me just say this up front, uh, this message is for everyone, not just moms, so you can't check out if you're not a mom. This message really is for everyone, uh, though it will have some special applications to parents and in particular to mothers. But the message this morning is simple. It's this, that, that we are to humbly trust in Jesus and serve Him. We're to humbly trust in Jesus and serve Him. In all things. Now, it's really difficult, by the way, to prepare a Mother's Day sermon. And uh, I realized this probably more than ever this week as I was preparing this sermon. And the reason why it's difficult to prepare a Mother's Day sermon is because my heart goes out to those who are hurting. And that's why it's tough in terms of what do, you, what do I say, you know, I'm going to say what the Bible says, but I've got to find somewhere in the Bible to preach from, and it's easy when you're preaching through a book. So we're in Matthew this morning, by the way. Um, but I, my heart goes out to moms with wayward kids, and moms who, who, um, whose husbands have left them, and moms whose husbands and kids don't show them the honor that they deserve. And, and women who have always wanted to be a mom, but for, for one reason or another, that didn't happen. I think of a, a lot of people that, that this makes it tough to prepare a, a Mother's Day message. And, but I want to say it up front, because, because of, because of the, re, the thing that I know. There's a lot of women who are going through um, secret agony. And a day like today can actually bring that more to the forefront and bring that more to their minds. And, and it could be happening for any number of reasons. But my heart really goes out to moms and to women today. And I guess if I would just say one thing, and the idea of, you know, look, we got one main thing today. It's that we need to trust Jesus and serve him. It's simple. But I want you to know the hope that is in Christ. And whatever you're going through, there is hope in Christ. And he loves you. Jesus loves you. Now, we're talking about true greatness. It's a very daunting idea. It's a very tricky concept. I mean, and the reason why it's so tricky is because it's been, it's been warped by sinful man. I think back to my childhood days and I got to watch Muhammad Ali, the great boxing legend, pronounce himself as the greatest. Hockey star Wayne Gretzky was known as the great one. We say a person is great um, if, they're, if they're really good in their field of expertise, if they're better than all their peers. We'll say things like, you know, she's a really good artist. She's a great artist. Or he is a great writer. We will even say things like, that person has a great attitude. Meaning that some people don't. But this person does. 
And, and, I, and as I'm thinking about this whole idea of, of true greatness, I, and I realize something, it's not necessarily our, our ego that gets in the way when we start thinking about greatness. Because all of us are realistic enough to know that we are not the greatest that's ever been in whatever we do. We might just be really good. Um, we're not the ultimate in greatness. But we just want to know that we're able, that we're, that we're uh, proficient in something, that we're good at something, and, and that our life is significant in some way, that we somehow can make a difference in our life. And sometimes we put the word great on that. But really what we want is we want to know that our life matters in, in good, God-honoring ways. But even in that realistic context, it is still our understanding that gets in the way. Uh, you ask the question, what is a truly great parent? Well, it depends on who you ask. You can do a, a little internet search and you'll find seven secrets to being a great parent, seven qualities you need to be a great parent of a preschooler, five keys to being a great parent, eight ways to be a good parent. And, uh, you know, you could, you could read these lists and think, I got to be super mom or super dad. I got to be able to leap tall buildings with a single bound and to, to, to um, give kids everything they need and want all through their life. But is that really what it means to be a truly great parent? It really does depend on who you ask. Uh, and you look at these lists of all these things that you're to do, and I've read through many of them this week, and my jaw dropped at times thinking, really? Really? That's what it means to be a great parent? Wow. Didn't know that. And not all the advice is bad. Uh, a lot of it is actually good, practical advice that could apply to anyone, anytime, anywhere. But they are missing the most important ingredients. Every one of the lists I read this week it, were missing the most important ingredients. It was like brownies without chocolate. They were like chocolate chip cookies without the chocolate chips. Or oatmeal raisin cookies without the raisins. They were missing the most important ingredient. What, what, what were they missing? They're missing trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord. And, and spirit-led obedience to the Word of God. That was absent from every single list. It was a, there were godless lists. So what does Jesus say about true greatness? And then what can we infer by his words about true greatness regarding what it means to be a truly great parent? Well, let's look in the Bible. Let's see what the Bible says. Um, Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 18 and stand with me to read God's word. We're going to see what Jesus has to say about greatness. We're going to read Matthew 18, 1 through 4. Then we're going to turn to Matthew 19 and read verses 13 through 15. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then chapter 19, verse 13. Then children were brought to him, to Jesus, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, 
Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Let's pray. Lord God, we have read your word. Lord, we are here to receive from you. We don't want man's ideas. We, we don't want human wisdom. Lord, we want, we want your wisdom. We want, we want to trust you. And Lord, by your spirit, lead us to obey what you show us today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, now, I want you to take a little biblical journey with me. I want you to stay with me, think about what we just read, but but take a little biblical journey with me for a moment. Um, Imagine that you're living in first century Palestine, in the time when, when Jesus was here on earth, and you're a Jew, and life is hard in every way, and religiously, you... You are a Jew waiting for the hope of Israel. You, you trust what the prophet said. You are looking for the Messiah. You are waiting for the one who would come to save his people from their sins. And you hear of a man named Jesus. Who, whose life, it, it seems, is, is falling in line with what the prophet said. And you hear about this man named Jesus who is doing mighty deeds and many are saying he is the anointed one. Others are saying he is, he is blaspheming, but many are saying he is the anointed one. The miracles are awesome. You, you begin to, to go and, and to hear this man and, and to hear him speak. And yes, he is doing mighty deeds, but then when he speaks... You begin to listen to what he is saying and you've never heard words like these before. You, you, you realize this man has words of life. And they, are, and they are nourishing your soul to a depth that has never happened before in your life. So you begin to listen to what he says and, and, and deep in your soul, you know this is something different than the strict religious upbringing that you've been brought up with, the, the demanding expectations, the, the strict religious dogma that, 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 they, that, you have been, that, ha, that has been forced upon you. This is freedom. And, and this, you're beginning to realize, is the way and the truth and the life. It's Jesus Christ. God in the flesh. And you listen to him speak about being poor in spirit and about hungering and thirsting for righteousness and about forgiving others their offenses and even blessing those who curse you, blessing your enemies and those who mistreat you. And, and, and you feel as you hear him that he is speaking only to you. He gets you. He, he understands where you're coming from. He, and, and, and so you follow and you see and you hear many things that, that blow you away. You see some miraculous occurrences. The, the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear. And, and it's amazing, but you are focused on him. Because all these things point to, to his greatness. And then he begins to speak about his church. 
his, his covenant community of holy ones, that he is going to empower and create and, and sustain in a day future, and you're yearning for that. You're, you're wanting that, and in some way, you are, you, are, you are experiencing it now, but realize that you yearn for a fuller, fuller experience of his kingship, his, his rulership in your life. And he speaks of humility. And you know what that is like. You know the other, you've seen the other side of that coin. Being pushed down and treated as less than due to some family history that others know about. And he teaches that you should be careful not to stumble others and not to lead them into sin. And, and, and your heart rejoices because your brother was, was led astray by a close companion. And when he speaks of going to your brother, when, when he sins against you, you cannot imagine your rabbi being willing to be approached in that way and to admit his sins and to make up. But you can have hope. And the story of the unlimited forgiveness melts your heart because you've seen so many treated like the servant who owed his, his friend. And when he speaks of marriage and he says that you, that you need to stay in your marriage he says what you had thought so long but were afraid to say because marriage was, uh, divorce was so prevalent. And as you think about these truths, you not only want them to be true in your life, but you want your kids to experience them as well. And so you and your friends get together and decide that you're going to bring your children, your little baby son, that's recently been born to Jesus so that he might lay his hands on them and bless them. Because you, you believe what he's saying and you, you're trusting what he is saying. So now you're going to entrust your, your, more, your closest human relationships to him. That's the parents in Matthew 19 Verses 13 to 15. These parents are coming to Jesus that he might lay his hands on them. Matthew 19, verse 13. And they came humble like children. And their actions seemed to fall in line with Jesus' instructions. Basically, they're built upon them. Jesus had talked about true greatness already. Matthew 18. And, and the one who humbles himself like the child that he set before them, he says in Matthew 18, 4, is the greatest in the kingdom. In the kingdom. Now there's another place that Jesus spoke of greatness. It's in Matthew chapter 20. Go there with me for a moment. It's when the mother of, of James and John come up to Jesus and, and say, look, um, you need to say that these two sons of mine are to sit on your right and your left hands in your kingdom. Seems like they had put her up to the request and the other disciples were indignant when they found out. They were mad at the, at the ten, were mad at the two. And, and Jesus says in verse 25 of chapter 20, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Speaking of the cross. 
and the sacrifice he would make there for the sins of the world. So Jesus has already talked about true greatness twice, and in both places he used the same Greek word, megas, like we use the word mega, big. It, it means large, it means great in the widest sense. It basically means bigger and better than anything or anyone. It means prominent, it means preeminent, and of course, when we think of prominence and preeminence, we're talking about Jesus. Isaiah said that he would be great. Colossians 1 says he is before all things. In him all things hold together. He might come to have first place in everything. Preeminent. Titus 2.13 calls, calls him our great God and Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ. But what Jesus is saying in both places about true greatness is that it is not to be found in all the places we usually find it. No, we, we always seek to find it. It's not to be found in power or prestige or position, prominence by the world's standards, not in wealth or fame or looks or, or, or possessions, not in doing all the right things. True greatness, if you had to sum it up in, in two words, is humble service. Matthew 18, humble yourself like this child, and then Matthew 20, serve, be a servant. Humble service. It's humble service to Jesus in every area of life, whatever your calling, whatever your role. And in between these two places that he speaks of true greatness, Jesus is painting this picture. Jesus is painting this magnificent portrait for his people of that humble, serving greatness in action. And nowhere do we see it, nowhere do I see it more than in Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 through 15. In this, and by the way, we're going to look at, in a couple weeks at, in greater detail at what Jesus said and the implications of his words to, to the parents and the disciples regarding children and regarding the kingdom of heaven. We'll look at that in greater detail. But I want to use this more as a springboard to go back into Matthew 18 and then on up into 19 here. These parents uh, um, were displaying faith in Christ. They, were, they brought their children to him, meaning they offered them to him. It was an offering. They were, they were entrusting in his hands their most prized relationships, their children. They trusted Jesus enough to say, yeah, we want this man to bless them because of how much he is blessing us. So they're coming to Jesus and bringing their kids meant they believed who he said he was. They're good parents. They, they consider Jesus follow-worthy. And so they said, we want our kids to get the good benefit. So it seems that they were displaying character in line with what Jesus has been saying as he would define his church and what would happen. I think that these parents were beginning to scratch the surface of a revolutionary truth getting some peaks in the window, so to speak, on the truth. And it's the idea that I want you to get today that Christ wants his followers to basically believe him, trust him, and serve him. It's a simple idea. But it has revolutionary implications. It's the starting point for everything. Literally everything. So you might have a calling as a mom. And then you read all these Eight different things or 50 things you've got to do to be a good mom. Well, you know what? Let me make it really simple. No. You know what you've got to do to be a great mom? Be a great dad? Be a great whatever God has called you to be? 
Trust Jesus and serve him. Trust him and serve him. Jesus said, you want to be great? Humble yourself like this child. How is a child humble? They don't have any resources. They don't have any strength, so to speak. A lot of strong kids, I realize. But, but in terms of the world standards, relatively weak and, and, and in the world's eyes, insignificant. And we know children are very significant. We know even in that day, children were, were treasured in the, in the Hebrew community. They were a gift from the Lord. They are a gift from the Lord. But here's the idea that, that Christ wants his followers to humbly trust and believe in him and serve his purposes. Now, the role that God has given you in life, be that mother, father, lawyer, doctor, plumber, whatever God has given you to do and to be in a calling, in a roles, the role will require specialization, sure. The basic premise is the same. We are to humbly trust and serve Jesus. So my idea is this. A, a truly great parent, then, is a truly great Christian who trusts a truly great Savior. Someone whose heart and mind and life are being transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ and, and that transforming is being done by God's Spirit through His Word. And the greatness isn't in, isn't in your calling it isn't in your role, but it is in Christ changing your soul. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. A truly great parent is simply a truly great Christian who trusts a truly great Savior. That God is working on you, and he is changing your heart and your mind and your life and your relationships day by day, moment by moment. And the power that you have to, to even have anything of, of good come out of your life, uh, it comes from God, and He is rearranging your priorities, and he is, he is changing your personal relationships because He is in your life. And I want to illustrate that by, by looking back at Matthew chapter 18, what we've seen for, for many weeks here. Things that we need to see again. If you're seeing it for the first time today, you need to see this. If you're seeing this for, for the tenth time today, you, you need to see this. The kind of character that will be on display in the life of a person who is trusting Jesus and serving his purposes. We start in Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. Uh, so, so you could say that a truly great parent is, is like this. But really, a truly great Christian is like this. A, a truly great person who trusts Jesus and serves him is like this. How? What are they like? The first thing they're like is they are, they are childlike. What Jesus said, child, not childish. I didn't say childish. Childlike. Now, my, my kids will say to me sometimes, Dad, you're almost 50. You're going to be 50 this year. You shouldn't be acting like that. You're acting like a child. I say, respect your father. You animals. No, childlike, dependent, therefore humble. Look, what, look at Matthew 18 again, verse 4. Whoever humbles himself like this child. Remember, Jesus put a child before him, a living object lesson. This child. This wasn't the only child in the world that was humble, by the way. It wasn't the model humble child that Jesus put in front of them. This was a child, any child. A special child, yes, but just a child. You could have picked anyone. The child is... Dependent, therefore humble. 
M.R.D. Hahn used to say humility is something we should, should uh, constantly pray for, yet never thank God that we have. Humility is something we should constantly pray for, but never thank God that we have. See, the truly humble person doesn't know they are. It's like the, it's like the poor man living out in the country who doesn't know that he inherited $50 million dollars and he lives in a small house down by the riverside. And he goes to work each day. Upstanding member of the community. And even when he finds out that he has received this $50 million, he continues to live down by the riverside in his small house and continues to go to work each day. And he interacts with the people and he doesn't flaunt what he has. Humble, therefore teachable. Childlike, but not childish. Willing to learn. Doesn't know it all. Knows they need Jesus, so therefore can be trusted. Trustworthy. Appropriately trusting Jesus. They walk by faith, so therefore they're trustworthy. Let me talk to moms for a minute. I know, moms, that humility might come easily in your life due to circumstances impressed upon you be that having children, be that um, dealing with the things that happen in life. But heart-level relationship, heart-level integrity, heart-level righteousness is a struggle for everyone. And so humbling ourselves as a child, being dependent and admitting that we are needy and poor means believing that you need a Savior who came to die for your sins. And He came for life and so you come to him for life there's no greater movement a mom could make but towards the savior independence admitting their need setting falsehood aside and coming under the protective cover of Christ and what happens is he produces character in the humble and so the humble become more humble not proud Let me ask all of us, what, what's, a, what's, the, um, what's the character quotient here? Where does character rank in, in your hopes and desires in life? Parents, where does character rank in your hopes and desires for your children? I remember hearing a, a, a dad once say, you know, if my kids could all just get into Stanford, I'll be happy. They might not be godly, though. That was his big goal, get them to a good school. I'm sure he'd say, oh yeah, I want him to follow Jesus, but I, I really, really want to go to a good school. Where does character rank in your hopes and desires for your kids? I love 3 John. 3 John is a really, really short letter. I love verse 4. We've got that in a little frame, at this verse at our house. The Apostle John is writing to his beloved friend. Verse 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. He's pointing to spiritual children. But by application, it's a good one for parents. Is it true that your greatest joy is to hear that your children are walking in the truth? Now, they might not go to the best school. They might not get the best job. 
but they have character that is rooted in Christ and they want to please Him more than anything. Parents, could that be enough? Could that be enough? Humility is essential. The humble, the humble are, are those who are amazed by grace. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. 2 Corinthians 12, he's talking about it. And, and, then, and then God, God says, he's, he's saying, Lord, take it away from me. And God says something to him. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. Meaning, uh, no thorn taken away. Uh, grace showering over you grace all over you my grace is sufficient for you my power is made perfect in weakness so paul says well i'm just going to rejoice then in my weakness i'm going to be i'm going to be amazed at god it's like john newton so aware he says look my memory is failing but I, i remember two things very clearly i am a great sinner and christ is a great savior The humble believe with all their hearts. What else might show itself forth in the life? The second thing is, you've got to be careful with this one, by the way. It's a tough one. It's carefulness. The, 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 the truly great parent, the truly great Christian who's trusting Jesus and wanting to serve him is careful. What are they careful to do? They're careful not to, to cause others to sin. They're not careless. They, they don't say, hey, I couldn't care less about anyone else. They are careful. Look at Matthew 18, 5 through 14. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, that's anyone who believes in Christ. You, call, you, you lead someone else to sin, you can go swimming in the ocean with a big rock tied around your leg. Don't cause others to sin, Jesus says. So uh, a, a person who is, who is um, truly great is going to be very careful not to cause others to sin. Now Ephesians 6.4 is a great verse. Ephesians 6.4, I love that verse. I love quoting Ephesians 6.1 to my kids. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. I like to remind them that obey means to, to listen to and to do what they say. And honor means to consider what they say to be valuable. Follow worthy. But verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's being careful not to cause your kids and lead them into sin. Proverbs chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and so forth. Basically, you look in the book of Proverbs over and over again. It says, my son, listen to my teaching. Do not forsake your mother's instruction. Listen to your father's teaching. Don't instruct. Don't, don't forsake your mother's instruction. And, and that's great care being taken on, the ha- behalf of, on behalf of kids by parents to make sure that they are put in the right way so they don't go into sin. Sometimes they crash through the guardrails. But that teaching is a, is a security put there by God through parents. But a truly great parent uh, is careful. They're diligent. They stay the course. 
They fix their eyes on Jesus. They abide in Christ. Max Lucado said, you know, it's a quick trip from playing little piggies with a toddler's toes to packing her up for college. Time is short. You know, we're, we're to be like motion detector lights in our kids' lives. There, always. Night lights, spotlights, porch lights. A light in their life. A, 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 a lighthouse. We're to be there as a ready welcome, as a... As, as, as a is an inner caution sign even as they, as they take steps towards independence and as they fly. Arrows, by the way, you know, for, uh, Psalm 127 says, uh, children are like arrows in, in the hands of a warrior. The quiver is, uh, you're blessed when the quiver is full. Well, arrows are meant to fly, not to keep in the quiver. So they're going to fly, but when they go, what moral compass have they been given? Is it by the word of God? Is it, is it redirecting them when they're off course? truly great parent knows the time is short and the stakes are high so they live with a a huge invisible watch your step sign before their eyes at all times and they're careful not in their own just in their own lives but also in the lives of others not to cause others and lead them into sin so a truly great parent is is childlike and it's careful is also confessing confessing matthew 18 15 if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. That first step of, of relationship in the body of Christ ought to be the only step needed. But because of hardness of heart, other steps are needed often. But what God intends is for reconciliation, confession of sin. So, so the truly great cr- Christian, the truly great parent is willing to admit their sin they're repentant therefore they're approachable you know the kind of people that are like the porcupine that says you don't get anywhere near me with any kind of correction how dare you say anything to me many of us don't want to take it from our kids we tell them they're being disrespectful but maybe they're maybe they love us so much that they're coming to us and saying you know i see something now they've got a, a, a unique vantage point don't they Our kids have a unique vantage point. Most of them are shorter than us, but they can see really clearly into our lives because they see a lot of the things that the rest of us don't see. So back to Ephesians 6, 4. Don't don't provoke your children to anger, but bring bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Well, you know what? If you're going to teach them the Lord, you've got to teach them what a Christian does. And a Christian confesses their sins. I think one of the best things a kid can hear from their parent is, I am sorry, I have sinned. Forgive me. You know, sometimes I'll say to my kids, you know, this is what the Sheriff family does. It doesn't matter what those other families do. That's their family. You can go live with them if you want. But if you're going to live here, this is what we do. And I think it's fair. Maybe you think it's too strict, but this is our family and this is what we've chosen to do. But what we need to be telling our kids most of all is this is what God's family does. This is what God's children do. It's in the Bible and here's here's what we do. And we don't do it just to to get rewards. No, we do it to love Jesus. People who love Jesus do this out of love for Jesus. You know, none of us want to be led the wrong way. And and none of us want to... uh, 
you know, follow the wrong roadmap. I, I know a lot of us, we, we use our phones to, to find places now. We've got our GPS and our, you know, our, 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 our Google Maps and what have you. But I don't know how many times I've been given the wrong directions. And it's like, wow, that, really, that's a dead-end street. I can't get over that building into that other street. I've got to go around two miles. Wrong directions. You know, we don't want to give the wrong directions to our kids or really to anyone in our life based upon uh, pulling out the rug from underneath our teaching by giving a, a complete different example. You know, do as I say, not as I do, and all that. That, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. So come clean. Confess your sins before, before your kids. Humble yourself. Childlike. Not, not childish, childlike. Careful. Not careless. Careful. Confessing. And compassionate. Compassionate. There's this story, this parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 18, 21 through 35. And, and it's, 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 it's based on this question that Jesus, that, that Jesus gets from Peter. How many times should my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And Jesus says, no, unlimited. And because Jesus' forgiveness of us is so unlimited, we're to forgive others in an unlimited way. So, so the truly great parent, the truly great Christian that trusts Jesus, wants to serve him, is compassionate. They're willing to forgive sins. They're not just willing to, to, to confess their own sins. They're willing to forgive sin. They, they, then they have a redemptive impact on their kids and on the culture. They model Christ to their kids. Grace and truth, humble and gentle. They're not the behavior police. They're not the Gestapo. They're not God's Gestapo over their kids, always warning them and wagging their fingers. They're not the overzealous Peter Brady uh, hall monitor, safety monitor. They're gentle yet firm with those who sin because they have an understanding heart and they're not judgmental because they realize they've been in the same place. And there's probably nothing that will, that will encourage this and enable this more than, than following Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. I want to say something to the kids right now. I want to say when there are swords that pierce a parent's heart. There are things that, that cause a wound so deep, and, and one, of those, the big, one of the biggest ones is dishonor or disrespect from their kids. And uh, I've said this for a long time, but the kid's number one job besides following Jesus is obeying their parents. That's a job. That's a, that's a task. That's a calling. That's a, that's a privilege. Now, parents... Mom, let's say that you have been reamed over and over again by your kids. They've, they've thrown rocks at you over and over again. Uh, not, liter- not literally, figuratively, like, like relational rocks. Relational boulders. Bowling balls, whatever. And, and you, you're being injured and there's some internal damage that has taken place in your heart because you're wounded. What do you do? You lash out? You make them pay? Or do you take the road that is less traveled but better and you say, I'm going to rejoice. Just like Jesus says, I'm going to rejoice that I've counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. 
That's what we would do if we were in a foreign country and we're persecuted for preaching the gospel. And if you're wanting to live the gospel before your kids, then rejoice in mistreatment. Kids, don't mistreat your parents. Parents, when it happens, think about Jesus. Tenderhearted, ready, willing, and able to forgive because you are so deeply aware of how much you've been forgiven by Christ. The father of the prodigal waiting for that son to come back and then running down the road to embrace him. Compassionate. A couple more, two more. Then the plane will come in for a landing. But the fifth one is this. A truly great parent, a truly great Christian who loves and serves Jesus is committed to God's direction for their life. And and I'm going to point you to Matthew 19 when Jesus receives this question. Is it okay to divorce your wife for any reason at all? Basically, no-fault divorce. First century, no-fault divorce today. And, and, And Jesus says, no, it's not okay. No, it's not okay. So committed to God's direction and calling in your life. But the destination is settled. Oh, you don't want to take a detour or a side trip. You've got a one-track mind, so you're not going to take the easy way out. A lot of people take the easy way out, the path of least resistance. It is harder to stay in your marriage when it is bad. It is easier to leave when it is bad. But one of the best gifts you can give your kids, you want to be a truly great parent, stay committed. Ephesians 5 talks about Husbands loving their wives and and wives respecting their husbands. And it is not one of those, hey, if your wife respects you, man, you you love your wife. And, and, you know, if your husband loves you, woman, you, you respect your husband. That's not the way it reads. The calling is, husbands love your wives. And, and wives respect your husbands. That's a calling on both of you, and it enables a... a, a a Christ-oriented, Christ-exalting relationship to blossom versus wilting on the vine and growing stagnant. Best gift, best gift you can give your kids is to, to love and respect one another in mutual submission to Christ. It's like learning a language. Uh, kids learn the language they, because their best way to learn language full immersion, right? Well, the kids are fully immersed with us, and and we're communicating, communicating. Interesting how 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 squished our communication has become. You know, I was talking to a friend the other day, and and they asked me a question. I said yes, and the reply is T Y, and I'm like N P, <laughs> and they're like K K, <laughs> so I'm like L O L. You can figure it out later. (laughs) Last one. Truly great parent, truly great Christian who, who, who trusts Jesus and serves him is courageous. That takes us back to Matthew 19. Some of you already figured out the C word, I know. I saw a smile. Uh, uh, Matthew 19, 13 through 15. These parents that are coming to Jesus were courageous. It took courage for them to do it. And interestingly, what did they get? They, got, they met disciples who weren't being humble. 
They, who got, they rebuked the sincere parents. They gave them the red light. They tried to restrict their access to Jesus. No admittance. You don't have a backstage pass. You can't talk to him. Especially not with them. Jesus rebukes the, the disciples and tells the parents, bring them on. Go for it. You got the, the, the green light from me. It's like Hebrews 4.16. Come boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy. Find grace to help in time of need. Come boldly to the Lord. Don't be afraid to take gutsy risks for the kingdom of heaven. Those parents bringing their kids to Jesus, that was a risk. That was courageous. It's walking by faith, not sight. You know, we live in a time of blatant lies and twisted truths. And the parade before us in an unquestioned reality as if that was the way it is and courage is needed to bring God's word to bear on every conversation. Bring God's word into your house. Bring God's word into the marketplace and into the school. That Christians must presuppose the truth of God's word in, cor- in courageous faith. God's word is authoritative and binding no matter what people say. You know, it's interesting. We don't need another parenting model. We need Christians modeling Christ-like parenting. Remember this. We all have a problem. And it's pervasive. It's, 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 it permeates. It's a sin problem. It's an enemy within us, even though Christ lives in us as Christians. And as a result of sin, we all have different levels of pain and misery that we are living with. And we crave easy solutions and we gravitate towards other, either legalism where it's like, got to follow these rules or license, which is whatever, there aren't any. And God wants us to thrive in our relationship with him so that all of our relationships are transformed. So a truly great parent, well, that's easy. A truly great Christian, that's easy. Because they trust Jesus and serve him. That's it. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for how good you are. Thank you, Lord, that you are the only true great parent. You are our Heavenly Father, and you know what we need even before we do. You take care of birds, you take care of flowers, and you take care of us. And you know, Lord, that our greatest need is an eternal one that only you can meet. So, Lord, anyone who hears these words that that isn't a believer in you, I pray that they would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Know that he, that you paid the penalty for their sins. That they would trust in you. And then those who who believe, the majority of us hearing these words, that we would trust you to live your life through us for your honor and glory. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.